Hello, welcome to Atari Bytes, the show where we take a bite out of the story within a classic Atari 2600 game and see if that story bites us back. My name is Bill, this is episode 139. Thanks for listening. Welcome back, everybody. How is September treating you? Are you staring down the barrel of the gun that is Halloween? Got barely more than a month now. I hope you have your costumes ready. I hope that you are bathing daily in pumpkin spice. I hope that you are psychologically prepared for the sight of countless, I don't know, what costumes do kids wear today? I guess witches are still a standard. Uh, the various Batmans and Supermans. Uh, I think you still see a Power Ranger occasionally. I don't know, but that's still a month away. Uh, for now, we are still steeped in September. It is still in the 80s as I record this, uh, where I live, so I, I guess I can't complain. Uh, I can't be thinking too much about fall, because it doesn't feel fall-ish. I think in Canada it's been snowing. So, I, I don't know, the world is weird. Weather is weird. Alright, well with that sort of messy opening, let's get on with this week's show. And we will start as we always do. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship. Or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. I mentioned last week on the show that I had started reading Mad Mike the Tell All Tale, and it's just a wretched, wretched book. Full disclosure, I have not read any more of the book uh, since I gave my last report. Uh, fuller, full disclosure. I just recorded the previous episode yesterday, so I've only had about a day since I gave my last Mad Might Hughes report, and I have not read any more of the book. Uh, it's still there on my electronic reading device, uh, i.e. my phone. Uh, I will probably pick it up at some point uh, when I have a couple of minutes you know, standing in line somewhere. Let's see if Mad Mike has done anything since yesterday as I'm recording. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, I'll repeat the warning from last week as you're listening. MGTV has started a Mad Mike Hughes live website, which is a fake site, according to Mad Mike. So don't go there. And don't give them any money. I don't know if they were asking for money or not. But don't give them any. Just give all your money to Mad Mike. Uh, I shouldn't complain. I gave him $4 for that terrible book. So uh, I'm hardly one to talk. All right. Well, thus concludes this week's Mad Mike Hughes update. Gonna prove that the world is flat in his rocket ship, or else he'll go splat. He's Mad Mike Hughes. Mad Mike Hughes. Alright, not a whole lot of news. Last night, instead of reading the Mad Mike Hughes book, I was watching Knight Rider. Remember the classic 80s uh, David, David Hasselhoff show? where he's a crime fighter who rides around in a talking car that can drive itself. Um, I'm pretty sure Elon Musk, you know, little little baby Elon Musk, was taking uh, copious notes when he watched this show. I'm not sure if the, the self-driving cars that Musk is developing talk in the voice of William Daniels or not. Elon, if you're listening, and I'm sure you are, please uh, email me at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com to let me know if that's the case, because if it does... I'm definitely going to save up my money to get me an electronic, yes, an electronic, to get me a, an electric car, a self-driving car, um, with the uh, voice of William Daniels, because that would be sweet. So anyway, I was watching Knight Rider 
because uh, it's a show I haven't watched since I was a kid. I had no particular desire, frankly, to watch it again. However, there's another podcast I listened to called Champa and Klein, The Night Rider Years. Champa and Klein are podcasters who've done a couple of other shows. I found them because of Mullets and Memories, uh, which was an episode-by-episode MacGyver podcast. They're very funny. Um, they're very enthusiastic about 80s television. Uh, and they did a really nice job with MacGyver, which was a show that I was big on as a kid and that I've watched various times throughout the 30-odd years since it aired. They finished MacGyver, and they decided to do Knight Rider next. So I thought I would get more out of it if I actually watched the show. I am struck by how much I'm actually enjoying it. Knight Rider is, it's still hokey and cheesy and what I mean, it's a show about a talking car. So you, you gotta go in just accepting that. But with that in mind, it's actually a pretty good show uh, by 80s TV standards. So anyway, I was watching it uh, because I wanted to get ready for the next episode of the podcast. And I was watching episode three of the first season. And there's a scene, uh, don't worry, I'm gonna bring this back around to Atari. There's a scene where Michael Knight, Hasselhoff's character, is zooming down the road in Kit. That's the talking car. I'm filling all this in in case some of you are not familiar or don't remember Knight Rider. And we're hearing the voiceover, the audio, uh, the, the car and, Knight and Michael Knight are talking to each other. and They're talking about how we have to hurry, you got to watch that dangerous curve, and there's danger coming or something. You think that they're talking about what's really going on, but it turns out, you know, camera follows us into the car... And it turns out Michael Knight isn't even driving. Uh, the car's driving itself, because it can do that. And he's watching, Knight is watching a computer screen on the dashboard. And we see the screen, and is very, very clearly, because I own the game, uh, auto racing for the Intellivision. I can't remember if I, did I do that for Intellivision month this year? I don't think I did. I think it might be one that I'll do for Intellivision month in 2019. But anyway... It's a game I know well, because I own it. It's an auto racing game, hence the name, auto racing. Very clearly, that's what's on the screen. But then you see Michael Knight, and he's holding the CX-40 joystick for an Atari. Now, obviously, I mean, this is TV. He wasn't really playing the game. I get that. But he's not even using the right controller for the game that he's playing. So, grrr, on you 30-year-old television show. I'm going to write to somebody. I don't know who. Paramount? I'm not even sure who made this show. I haven't listened to the podcast episode yet, but I hope that Champa and Klein take uh, the Knight Rider people to task for this egregious error. Uh, and that got me thinking. Have you guys noticed any egregious classic video game errors in televisions maybe of that same era? Or, you know, obviously, at that time, Atari was a current thing, so it made sense to make a reference to it. But it could be shows from that era. It could be shows from the modern era. When the MacGyver reboot came out a couple years ago they did an episode they had a scene in an episode where they made reference to donkey kong and i mentioned that on the podcast so you know things like that if you guys have seen anything like that in tv or movies or books just sort of throw away references that get it wrong let me know i'd be i'd be curious those are kind of fun oh uh, the scene with michael knight just to end the scene i, I think he crashes the, the car in the in the game or something and he has some line like, ah, oh, these computer things are a waste of time anyway. And he kind of throws the joystick aside. And then they get on with the business of, of being Knight Rider. Uh, so anyway, not really news. Just something that just recently happened. I thought I would share it. All right. Well, let's see. Let's get on with this week's game. This week's game is Video Chess from Atari 1979. 
We know that video killed the radio star. I think I did that joke last week, too. Oh, well. We know that video killed the radio star, but what did it do for chess? That is the question for this week on the podcast. The game is just like advertised on the box. It's chess in a computer game. I don't know how many of you out there play chess. I'm guessing a number of you. I'm guessing a number of you are really good at it. I am not. I am in my 40s. I have tried for 40 years to get excited about chess. I played with my dad as a kid. I played with my brothers. I played with friends over the years. Some were good. Some were really good. Some were just okay. Um, A few years ago, even though my kids were pretty young, they got into chess for a while. They would play it at their after-school program, and then they'd want to come home and play it. And I thought, well, that's great. This is a chance for me to get excited about chess again because they want to play. So we, you know, we got a chess set and we play a lot and kind of, you know, go over the rules and, and figure out how to play it and stuff like that. But then, as kids do, they got bored with it after a while and they just kind of stopped playing. And then I stopped playing again, and now I've pretty much forgotten most of what we had retaught ourselves at that time. So I am once again not a chess player. So the rules. Uh, the manual for this game is basically chess. Uh, the rules for chess. Uh, using a joystick controller, we get a little history of chess. As one of man's oldest war games, chess is believed to have originated in India between 350 to 400 AD. The first written record of the game was in 700 AD. There are many variations of chess played throughout the world. In any chess game, the object is to capture the opponent's king. The computer sets up the pieces on the board in their proper order. Each player begins with 16 pieces, one king, one queen, two rooks, two bishops, two knights, eight pawns. Each piece has a distinctive move, which is peculiar to itself. Quickly, the king is your most important piece. It is not very mobile, though. It can only move one square at a time, but in any direction. Uh, Meaning, for those of you who don't know what directions are, forward, backward, sideward, or diagonally. All other pieces should be sacrificed when necessary to save the king. The computer will not allow the king to move to a square which is under attack by any by an enemy piece. The queen is the most mobile and versatile piece on the board, and therefore the most powerful. She moves in any direction, as many open squares as desired. The queen combines the powers of the rook and bishop. The rook moves on the rank or file, forward, backward, sideward, as many squares as desired. The rook is usually considered next in importance to the king and queen. The bishop moves back and forth in a diagonal line and may be moved any number of open squares. The two bishops on each side are set up so that one is tied to the light blue square and one is tied to the dark blue square throughout the game. A bishop is considered slightly more important than a knight, depending on its board position. The knight moves not on a line, but from point to point, following the one up and two across, or two up and one across patterns shown in the diagram. Here, can everyone see in the back? Okay. Basically, uh, the knight moves in an L position, an L shape. The knight is unique in that it cannot be blocked, but he can jump over other pieces provided its destination is an open square, or one in which it can take and capture an opponent's piece. The pawn, and remember there's a, there are eight of those, move straight ahead one square at a time and cannot move backwards. Only on its initial move can the pawn advance two squares, if desired. The pawn may capture opponent's pieces by taking them on a diagonal move, which is the only time the pawn may move diagonally, with one exception. See double moves on passant. Although the pawn is sometimes considered the least important piece, it is the foot soldier of chess and can be vital in holding territory. If you advance a pawn safely to the last or eighth square, eighth rank, on the opposite side of the board, it may be promoted to any other piece except king. 
The computer will automatically promote your pawn to a queen, since it is the most powerful piece. However, by putting the left difficulty switch in the A position and pressing the red controller button, you can change your new queen, exchange your new queen for any other piece except a king. Pieces except pawns capture in the same manner as they move. If any square that a piece can move it to is occupied by an enemy unit, that unit can be captured. The captured piece is permanently removed from the board, and the capturing piece occupies that space. Capturing is optional. You are not required to capture when able to. Pieces are not allowed to displace or capture pieces of their own color. When capturing or moving, none of the pieces are allowed to jump over other units except the knight. Traditionally, the capture of the king is never actually carried out. If the king is under attack but has room to escape, it is said to be in check. The video chess computer has a very distinct way to show when a king is in check, which is you will which you will see during the course of a game. We're not going to tell you. Neener, neener, neener. If the king is attacked and there is no way to escape, it is said to be checkmated, and the game ends. So using the joystick to move the pieces, obviously, move the cursor, the flashing X, to the piece you wish to move, and push the red controller button. The piece will begin to flash, and you may then move it in any direction. To release the first piece, push the red controller button again. If you attempt to make an illegal move, the computer makes a warning sound and disallows the move. After you make your move, the cursor will appear in the square from which you moved, and the piece you move will continue to flash for a moment until the computer starts to think its move. When the computer shows its move, the cursor will be shown in the square from which the piece was moved. The computer always plays the piece at the top of the screen. Pieces at the top of the screen. You always play the pieces at the bottom of the screen. In some cases, the computer will play the white pieces from the top of the screen and will move first. In the A position, if the right difficulty button is in the A position, the computer plays the white pieces and moves first. In the B position, you play the white pieces and move first. The color of the number at the top of this playfield, also denoting skill level, will tell you which color you're playing. If the left difficulty switch is in the A position, you set up the board any way you want for a particular problem or situation. You can. You can do that. Move the cursor to the square where you wish to place a particular piece. Each time you press the red controller button, the computer puts a different piece on that square, starting with the computer's king and cycling through the player's pawn. When you have placed the pieces you want on the board, move the cursor to the next position and repeat the process. To remove a piece from the board, place the cursor over that piece and cycle through past the player's pawn. An X will appear and that piece will be removed from the board. When you have the board set up the way you want it, set the left difficulty switch to the B position and begin play. At this point, you must move first, whether or not the right difficulty switch is in the A or B position. To press the game select switch to choose the level of difficulty you wish to play. Level B, rather level 8, is the learning level and is for a beginning player. It is the least difficult and is good practice for beginners. After practicing at level 8, beginning players should now move to level 1. Levels 1 through 7 become progressively more difficult, with level 7 being the most difficult. In the field report, I basically was just moving pieces around at random, but for the record, I was on level 1. You can change the level of difficulty any time during a game by depressing the game select switch. Game reset starts the game, obviously. There are two double moves allowed in the game of chess. One is known as castling, the other is known as en passant. The video chess computer may use either or both during the course of a game, and you can also. Castling can be an offensive or defensive move. The squares between the king and one of the rooks must be clear. The king or the rook may not have been moved previously. This move protects the king and moves the rook to the center of the board where it can be more effective. Um, I'm not going to go too far into castling, but it, other than to tell you it's a thing. En passant, which means in passing, is used to counteract the enemy pawn's initial double move 
on an adjacent file. To carry out the en passant, you must advance your pawn to the fifth rank. Your opponent then has the option of moving his or her pawn one square where it be under attack, or two squares. If your opponent elects to move two squares, the en passant move allows you to take that pawn or diagonally moving your pawn to the square that was skipped over. I'm starting to get sleepy now. This is why I've had trouble learning how to play chess for 40 years, because at some point it gets kind of boring. There may be some occasions where the computer will not allow you to use en passant to move out of check. Well, screw you too. If this should occur, use the setup move to complete the move. The en passant capture must be made immediately, meaning when the opportunity is first available or not at all. It cannot be executed at a later turn. There are eight levels, as I said before. As the levels increase from one to seven, the computer takes longer to complete its next move. The times listed below for each skill level are an average, since the length of time will depend on the complexity of the board and the level chosen. Level 1, 15 seconds. 2 is 30. 3 is 45. 4 is 2 minutes, 45 seconds. 5 is 3 minutes, 35 seconds. Well, 3 minutes, 15 seconds. Level 6, 12 minutes. Level 7, 18 hours. And then level 8, 18 seconds. 18 hours? Are you kidding me? This is also another reason why I've never uh, been able to get excited about chess. The games take forever. And I'm a guy who will spend an afternoon playing Monopoly if it comes to that. As a closing note, it should be pointed out that there are various books which give more detailed descriptions of the game of chess. Such books may give you more insight into the game's wide range of strategies. We suggest going to your local library or bookstore if you wish to study the game further. And that is how you play chess on passant video or something. Yeah. I'm being kind of snarky about chess. I, I really do like the game. I respect it. I have no problem with people being excited about chess. It's just a thing that has never stuck with me. The game for the 2600 was programmed by Larry Wagner and Bob Whitehead, who of course is a famous name in video programming, video game programming. Both programmers later developed games for the Activision. We love us some Activision. Unfortunately, this is not one. The box art of the first production run of the Atari Video Computer System or VCS, later, later known as the Atari 2600, featured a chess piece, even though Atari at the time was not contemplating designing a chess game. And, of course, nerds are pedantic, so one of those nerds, some dude from Florida, allegedly, sued Atari over the box art. Are you kidding me? But in an interview, Bob Whitehead said he didn't know anything about the lawsuit. At first, the idea of chess on the Atari 2600 was considered to be impossible due to the limitations of technology at the time. They had to overcome sprite limitations. 2600 was only capable of displaying three sprites in a row, or six, such as in Space Invaders with the right programming. The eight-piece wide standard chessboard exceeded this limitation. To deal with that, Bob Whitehead developed a technique known as Venetian blinds. I'm reading all of this from Wikipedia, by the way. I know zero about programming the 2600. I know zero about programming anything. I took an Apple basic programming class in high school, and it was fun. I liked doing it. You know, and that would have been in the 80s, but I, yeah, I never did anything after that. So Whitehead comes up with this technique called Venetian Blinds, where the position of each sprite changes every scan line. This allows for eight or more sprites in a row. Atari also developed a bank-switching ROM cartridge for early, uh, earlier prototypes of video chess that were larger than 4 kilobytes in size. However, the released version ended up fitting the standard 4K size. This technology was later used for other Atari 2600 titles. Video Magazine's Arcade Alley column praised the game as a reward for Atari owners and a game that even basic chess players should find rewarding for many hours of enjoyment. The uh, reviewers were surprised that the gameplay was limited to single player, uh, which surprised me a little bit too, and they made note of the game's high retail price tag of 40 bucks U.S. 
but they praised the game's coding which made checks to prevent illegal moves, and which included a number of more advanced chess concepts like casting an unpassant, which had not yet become standard in all chess video games. There are bugs, of course. The two most difficult levels, 6 and 7, have this issue where a computer player's perspective, prospective moves are displayed while it is thinking. In easier levels, the screen is blanked to a solid, but changing color. However, in these two levels, the computer player sometimes fails to return a piece to its original position, resulting in making more than one move per turn. Chess.com did a little write-up on the history of video chess. They talked about this game called Micro Chess, one of the first chess games to hit, or after Micro Chess, which was a sort of a forerunner uh, to Atari Video Chess. Home consoles up to the time of the VCS were specialized affairs could only play one specific game, such as Pong. 2600 allowed a number of games to be released uh, as interchangeable cartridges. Uh, we know all that, of course. Urban Legend has it that the man from Florida sued Atari over d- the box art displaying a chess man, uh, specifically the White Knight, but not being able to present a playable game of chess. Later versions of the box art were modified so that the White Knight was replaced with another picture. Whether story is true or not, trading a chess game became a priority of Atari. And then they talk about the video chess game that we've already talked about. I don't know who this alleged man from Florida was. I guess if it's urban, uh, an urban myth, maybe there is no name attached to the guy. Why he's from Florida, I don't know. Except that Florida's wacky. No offense, Florida. But honestly, you are kind of wacky. And of course, we can't fail to mention Deep Blue. This was the chess playing computer that IBM created. Known for being the first computer chess playing system to win both a chess game and a chess match against a reigning world champion under regular time controls, that reigning world champion, of course, being Garry Kasparov. Uh, Deep Blue defeated him for the first time February 10, 1996, in game game one of a six-game match. However, Kasparov won three and drew two of the following five games, uh, ending up defeating Deep Blue four to two. Deep Blue was then heavily upgraded and played Kasparov again in May of 97 and won game six, therefore winning the six-game rematch three and a half to two and a half, becoming the first computer system to defeat a reigning world champion in a match under standard chess tournament time controls. But Kasparov, of course, accused IBM of cheating and demanded a rematch. IBM refused, and Deep Blue retired, which I think is unsportsmanlike, if you ask me. Deep Blue began, the development began in 85 at Carnegie Mellon University. Project uh, evolved into Deep Thought, and the development team was hired by IBM. The project evolved again to Deep Blue in 89, uh, with Grandmaster Joel Benjamin becoming part of the development team. Playing chess seemed like a good measurement for effectiveness of artificial intelligence. Kasparov acknowledged after he lost that uh, he saw deep intelligence and creativity in the machine's moves, suggesting that during the second game, human chess players had intervened on behalf of the machine, which would be a violation of the rules. IBM denied that that was the case, saying that the only human intervention was between the games. Kasparov uh, devel- uh, requested all sorts of uh, printouts and documentation, IBM refused, although the company did uh, later publish a lot of that information on the internet. IBM refused and dismantled Deep Blue. In Game Over, Kasparov and the Machine, a 2003 documentary, the film interviewed some people who suggested Deep Blue's victory was a ploy by IBM to boost uh, boost stock value. Deep Blue could evaluate 200 million positions per second, was the fastest computer to face a world chess champion. So, the Atari 2600, not quite as fast as Deep Blue. Your podcaster... Also not quite as fast as Deep Blue, but we'll muddle through in the field report today. Therefore, after the break, when sitcom Silver Spoons ended, but before Arrested Development started, 
Jason Bateman starred in a short-lived sitcom called It's Your Move. The show had nothing to do with this week's game, except that I have a vivid memory of the title card for It's Your Move that is on the screen over the opening theme for the show. The graphic was a chessboard. This is how my brain works. Remember chess club in high school? Some of you may have even been in chess club in high school. Why chess club? You're basically just moving pieces around a board. It's kind of like checkers, right? I I get it. In 200 BC, they weren't sitting around a checkers board saying, King me. But, you know, why not have a um, a Yahtzee club in high school, right? They had dice games in ancient times. So what I'm saying is, all you pretentious chess people, settle down a little bit. Wow, that was harsh. Anyway, let's play the game. So I'm looking at a chess board. I have the settings on double A. Left and right difficulty buttons both on A, which I think means I can set up any sort of fancy moves that I want. No worries there. And also, I believe, yeah, the computer plays the white pieces and moves first. Yeah, left difficulty switch in A. Uh, allows you to set up the board any way you want for a particular problem or situation. Okay, so let's do this. All right, so the computer moved his pawn. I guess one, two, three, four. Pawn five, is, is that how you do it? Let me say which one it is. Jumped out two spaces. Well, screw you, buddy. I'm gonna do that too. Boom, take that. Now I guess the computer's supposed to move. Why isn't he moving? Freaking me out, computer. What's going on? There, I just took him, yo. I'm going to move my knight. Let's get some things going here. Oh, I can't do that. I need to get him out of the way. The only thing more boring than watching people play chess in real life is listening to them play chess on an audio podcast. Suffice to say, some pieces are moving. Uh, let's just say I'm playing brilliantly. I am deploying my queen go queen yeah and the computer is weeping openly at my chess prowess and with that back to you in the studio hey everyone this is michael one of the hosts of the atari xegs cart by cart podcast do you like atari of course you do what about the 8-bit computer line it was one of the best well how about you consider joining bill david kieran and myself as we review the cartridge-based games for atari's 8-bit computer line We also review budget games, which are mostly released only in the UK. But that's not all. We also dig up game history, share personal experiences, and perform questionable comedy. You'll get all of that and for free just by listening to us on either iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play Music, Player FM, or from our website at xegs8bit.com. That's X-E-G-S, the number 8, bit.com. And when you're done listening, please send us your hate mail, because we really need the feedback so we know someone is tuning in. So here's the thing about video chess. It's fine. Like I said, uh, I have respect for chess. I have no particular affection for it, personally. So I played around a little bit this morning, but I couldn't be bothered, apparently, to sit there and really study how to move these pieces today and wait for the computer to do stuff. I wanted to put it up on the screen. I wanted to see what it looked like. And it looks fine. The 
the pieces are not as well defined graphically as I would like, but they're good enough. If you know the chessboard, you can see, okay, well, there's the rook and there's the knight, etc., etc. Et but, you know, it's a 1979 game, so you got to cut some slack for that. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know that, you know, playing a 2018 computer chess game, which would surely have amazing graphics, um, would make me any more compelled to play it than this one did. I think if you really like chess, you don't have anyone to play with on an actual board, you would like to play this. So I guess that's all you can ask from a video game. All right, let's get on to this week's story. This week's story is titled, Plaid? Really? Centuries ago, in a village that doesn't exist anymore, a man with a name you can't pronounce, so we'll call him Ed, toiled for months over his latest invention, one that would challenge the mind, but bring rulers together even as it entertained the masses. One day, man and computer would battle over Ed's invention, though Ed had no idea what computers were. At last, Ed's creation was ready. One day, history would record that name for what Ed was about to do. That's a lie. Ed's name would be lost to the ages, like most of us, but he was no less determined. Ed was a man with a dream. Well, two dreams. The first dream is one where he's wearing a goat costume and swimming in a vat of tomato soup, after which penguins spank him with lollipops and a circle of Simon Cowles applaud the effort. The dream is especially weird as, since this was centuries ago, Ed had never seen a penguin, or a Simon Cowell, or a lollipop. Anyway, the second dream was to bring under the world a game, a game of strategy and intelligence, and now he was ready to do just that. Under one arm, he carried a square stone slab. A bag full of ivory game pieces rattled in his fist as Ed nervously clutched the bag's drawstring. Are you sure about this? Ed's friend Betty said. This game has already been invented in India. It's called Chaturanga. This was not what Ed wanted to hear, but he rallied quickly. There's a world of difference, he said, without specifics, and never mind that in this century, the world was a relatively small place, so the amount of difference between the two efforts was debatable. All he had to do was convince the town elders to back his efforts. Chaturanga. Bah! Ed said. Totally different than mine. Except that it's played exactly the same. Stop that, Ed objected, perhaps a bit too forcefully. My game has a different name. This isn't going to be like that time when you reinvented the wheel and called it Spinny, is it? Betty asked. Mine was way better, Ed pouted. The town elders receptionist tried to tell Ed and Betty the elders were tied up on a conference call, but since phones hadn't been invented yet, this excuse didn't stick. On her way back from the urination trough near the town water supply, Elder Lisa accidentally made eye contact with Ed. This was all the opening he needed. Elder Lisa, Ed said smoothly, but with a hint of off-putting eagerness. Still, Ed's persistence would be well known. Perhaps it would be better to just let him finish. Then Lisa could get back to preparing a phalanx of spear-wielding soldiers to mount an attack on the next village. She'd forgotten why the village needed attacking, but no matter. It was Tuesday. Cut to moments later. The elders gathered around for a closer look at Ed's invention their elder beards brushing the smooth finish of the board laid before them with its alternating brown and tan squares. The eldest of the elders wrinkled his pr prominent nose. Plaid, he said. Really? Ed explained the rules of chess. Essentially the same as modern chess, but with more bloodletting. There was a collective unimpressed shrug from the elders. In an effort to be helpful, one elder suggested, eh, How about marbles? Marbles are fun. The other elders glared at him as this was extending the meeting. Those soldiers' spears weren't going to distribute themselves. The Chinese are already doing something with marbles, someone couldn't help mentioning. 
Well, what if instead of just moving pieces around the board, you had to do other stuff? Elder Basil said, in spite of himself. Like, if you land on a particular square, you have to pay a tax to the tax collector. Or, other players would have to pay you if you land on their squares, and you could buy property and charge more money. Yes, the big-nosed elder said, and you could have more whimsical tokens than the horse and whatnot. You could have dogs and horseless carriages, and somebody could be the thimble. Nobody wants to be the thimble, Lisa said. The big-nosed elder said, Card games are fun. We've invented cards. Instead of two different colored squares on a board, you could have different colored cards. And then people have to make matches, Basil said. Um, that's substantially different than what I've brought before you, elders, Ed said. But they weren't listening. And then, when you're only holding one card, you say, One! Real loud, Lisa said. The elders seemed to like this matching card game idea. Ed was a little concerned. Elders, I think we're drifting away from this game. This new... Ed shot a look at Betty, daring her to counter that. This new game of chess. The elders glanced at each other. Then Lisa spoke. Oh, right. We also don't like the name. So that's it then? Ed said, trying to smile through the rejection. Depends, Lisa said. What do you know about Spears? And so the world would have to wait for chess to become a beloved game. Except that the world wouldn't have to wait at all because it had already been invented. In India. This is the part where the audio from the game goes before we transition into the end of the show. Video chess has virtually no audio to it. I considered singing you a song, but I thought better of it. You're welcome. And that's our show. My thanks to Kevin McLeod at Incompetech.com for Creative Commons use of his songs, Reformat, Pinball Spring, and Take a Chance. Thanks to Mike Mann for his Mad Mike Hughes theme song. Show notes are available at ataribytes.libsyn.com. You can email the show at ataribytes2016 at gmail.com. Like the show on our Facebook page. Follow the show on Twitter at ataribytes. Or follow me personally at Carnival of Glee. And check out our Instagram, uh, which I don't update a lot, but occasionally I'll put some weirdness up there. So please do enjoy. Listen to Atari Bytes wherever fine podcasts are sold, distributed, or foisted upon you like so many flyers from politicians in an election year. But remember to checkmate Apple Podcasts in one move with a review of this podcast. Also, even though chess is kind of a a two-hander solitary affair, make sure you gather around as many friends as you can to tell them about this show. They can listen to the show with headphones so they don't bother you while you're playing your chess game. Also, please consider supporting the show financially on our Patreon page. Thank you in advance. And if you have time, check out my other show. It's a podcast, Charlie Brown, where on the 15th of every month, you can get your fill of all things peanuts. Want to know about Snoopy or Charlie Brown or Pepper and Patty, their histories, their characteristics, their personalities. Want to talk about the comic strip, the TV shows, the films, the merchandise, the very mind of Charles Schultz himself? Well, look no further than It's a Podcast, Charlie Brown where we do just that every single month. It's good stuff. Check it out. Next time on Atari Bytes. Tennis, anyone? Seriously, the game is just called Tennis. But it's from Activision. So that'll be a good time. So until next time, go play some old games. They've missed you.